Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, everybody. This is Kim Skorupski from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Office of Faculty Development. And on today's podcast episode, I'm so pleased to have back Dr. David Usum. Hi, Dave. Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm so happy now that I'm talking with you. Friends, if you've been listening to the podcast, you recognize Dr. David Usum, MD, MBA. Dave is Hopkins Associate Dean for Professional Development. He is a neuroradiologist and author of the textbook on neuroradiology, former section director, division director, I always call it section, division director of neuroradiology, uh, professor, and a long time, I guess a, a lifelong Hopkins person, right? I think it's been your whole career, correct? I came in 1998 after 10 years from University of Pennsylvania, which was a wonderful time in my life as well. Yeah, that's right. All right. And so Dave is one of our um, beloved uh, members in the Office of Faculty Development, and the, the faculty just love him. He has great seminars and workshops on mentee rules and time management, and he's designed two two-day courses on the economics of clinical operations, uh, One another one called Ap- Academic Toolkit, How to Build Your Academic Clinical Practice. So he's done lots of creative, innovative, and and things. And on top of all that, he is super fun. So I'm so excited to have him share with you today about something he does in his workplace and something that we had a little opportunity to collaborate on together. So Dave, why don't you tell everybody what the snippet is today? So today I'm going to talk about having joy in the workplace. It's been my contention that if you're talking about burnout and resilience, then you've kind of lost the battle almost at at that point. Um, Whereas what I'd like to think about is how do I maintain and create joy in the workplace? This is a collaboration that Kim, you and I discussed and ultimately led to an editorial in the American Journal of Neuroradiology, the December 2017 issue. So way back when, and we've had a lot of experience with implementing some of the suggestions that we made. And so I'd like to talk about that topic in five sort of headings, the first of which is, as you know, I'm Mr. Mission. So about uh, the importance of mission and having uh, happiness at work, and then talking about appreciation and gratitude and celebrations and decorations and the choice of being happy. So can we structure it that way, Kim? That sounds wonderful. Love it. All right. So let me start with the the first part, which is um, the mission part. And that is that when you have committed people to the work that you're doing, that they believe in it and it makes sense to them and they're stimulated by the, you know, the mission of the institution or the, or the group practice, whatever it may be, it's much more easy to have happiness at work if you're believing in that mission. And I'll, I'll just take a, make a side comment that, you know, although Johns Hopkins School of Medicine faculty generally are paid at, let's just say it's around the 25th percentile, uh, you have long-term Johns Hopkins faculty members who believe in being on the faculty because they believe in what Johns Hopkins represents, that school of medicine and the excellence that we do with teaching medical students, teaching residents, teaching fellows, as well as the mission of creativity and bringing innovation to medicine, as well as all the connections that we have to the School of Public Health and the School of Nursing. So sometimes, you know, you, you might be offered a better job with, uh, from the standpoint of 
you know, compensation plan. But as far as building commitment to the mission, making the faculty happy on that basis, I think we're pretty much second to none, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's why I think that mission is very is very important, and and having it sort of inculcate throughout the institution and what you do. Yeah. And at Johns Hopkins, you know, we have this strategic plan that's always brought out at almost every meeting with the dean or the or the uh, president of the the health system, and and they refer back to the strategic plan, which leads to you know the fulfillment of of the mission of Johns Hopkins. So I think that's fundamental, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with you. You could, we've known faculty who get offered, you know, double and triple salary. And, you know, you're, you're right. It's so, it's enticing to be wooed by that. And then when you take a moment to examine the culture or, and go visit, that's where you do the real gut check of is like, what are you sacrificing? Because, you know, it's, everything's a trade-off. So, institutions like Hopkins, where you may not, as you said, we're at the 25th percentile for salaries, we, we are sacrificing some amount of income, but you're gaining a lot on the other end. And if you want the salary, you may be giving up something on that end, you may be giving up that, that research mission, that mission to community, the collaboration, the collegiality, a culture of innovation. So it's, it's all, um, yeah, it's a, it's a balance of what are you willing to sacrifice? Yeah, and when you look at some of the business school uh, research, engaged employees tend to uh, sell more product and uh, gain more clients and have happier customers, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the other word that we sometimes talk about is faculty engagement. And if you have faculty that are feel deeply engaged in it, they tend to be happier at work because they feel like what they're doing is important in the world and, and fulfilling. That's right. So that's, that's number one, I think, for joy at, at work is, is working on that amount of engagement of the employees or the physician group, as it may be, with regard to the mission, vision, and values of the, of the group. The second thing is building in appreciation and gratitude. So I tend to think of appreciation and gratitude as one, one is more directed towards uh, other people, and the other is more directed towards your own uh, self. So when I think about uh, being grateful, it may be that you you may think of it in terms of, you know, I'm grateful for the, my colleagues, I'm grateful for the good work that I do, I'm grateful for the intellectual stimulation, and then using the term appreciation for, I appreciate you know, the, the other people and, and having expressions of appreciation for the work that your administrative assistants are doing or your students are doing or your, your mentor is providing to you. So, um, whether, you know, you have, you know, different connotations for it than I do, I, I think that having an, an attitude of gratitude and, and these feelings of appreciation for both what you have as well as for what you're gaining from and, from the other persons in, in your life, I think is, is an important part of being joyful. And I'll tell a story that is a little funny and sort of ironic in a way. I used to have on my computer a little alarm that would go off at two o'clock on Fridays. This was when I was the division chief. And the, the alarm would say, you know, appreciate people. And so at two o'clock, you know, the alarm would go off and I'd get on my email and then just, you know, make notes to people about different things I noticed during the week of 
my faculty or my students or my mentees or the nurses or the techs or, you know, the administrative people and send notes, you know, somewhere between two and three o'clock. And um, it was, you know, it was a nice thing to do until I was having a meeting with someone at 1.30 to 2.30 and we were working at my computer and suddenly up popped this little reminder, which was, you know, send out messages of appreciation. So the person looked at this and said, is this why I get these emails from you on Fridays? Like, oh my God, it's just a reminder? I thought you meant that. I was like mortified that I was, you know, that I was found out that I, I needed a reminder on Fridays at 2 to, to be appreciative of all the people around me. So, uh, I think uh, that is, that is, while it sounds like it may, you know, I'm sure it was a little bit embarrassing, but it's also that humility and you're being humble of saying, yeah, the things that are important to us, we schedule. No, this is, (laughs) this is not meant to be some, you know, leadership book that I've, you know, 101 and I put in my calendar or something I don't care about. No, the things that are important to me, writing, producing scholarship, sending appreciation, exercising, meditating. I schedule those things because they are important to me. And so I think that that's a beautiful thing that says, no, it's so important to me that I actually have it in my calendar. That's why I have it. So Exactly. So um, to to get into the habit of this, for example, on my commute from uh, Owings Mills, Maryland into East Baltimore, there is this one section of about half a mile, I would say, where it's nothing but horse farms uh, to the left-hand side as you're going south on Greenspring Avenue. It's nothing but horse farms. It's beautiful fields, and you can see the horses in the in the distance. And it also has a little fountain that the people have uh, automated in in a little pond. And so I, I got into the habit of you know whenever I would hit that that mark on my commute um, to into work, I would think about all the things about that I have that I'm so grateful for. And it's a, it was a, it's a great exercise. It's a daily sort of affirmation of having an attitude of gratitude and just being happy about all the wonderful things in my life rather than focusing on the problems, etc. So I, I think that if, if everyone who has a regular commute can sort of have a visual stimulus, if you will, to make that reflection on gratitude uh, a habit, um, it will help the attitude and it'll bring more joy to your to your daily life, in, in my opinion. That's right. So, at you know, gratitude and appreciation, I'd say, would be the, the second the second part. And sort of what comes a little bit in association with that is uh, celebration, celebration at work. So, in in my division, which which had you know about. 32 faculty, and then you add in about 13 clinical fellows, and then maybe six research fellows, and then we also had the neurointerventional group. Yeah, a good number of about 50 people that were in the neuroradiology division, as well as the administrative assistants, et cetera. And um, so we had, you know, listed everyone's birthdays, and so we made a big deal about everyone's birthday as a acknowledgement and a reason to celebrate. And we looked at all the different holidays and we had, you know, holidays for, you know, Persian New Year, Nauru's, and we had uh, Diwali holiday for, for some of the Indian faculty that we had, and as well as all the other standard American holidays and had celebrations. And I think the important thing is that we had celebrations 
at work. And I think that's a, a nuance that's important. That is that you don't, you want to have people think about happy occasions and celebrations and associate it with the workplace. Mm-hmm. So the idea is not to go celebrate Diwali, you know, out at an Indian restaurant and then have people associate the, the celebration with, you know, Agbar restaurant. You want them to have the idea of happy times and associate with the workplace. Mm-hmm. So the birthday celebrations and the different holiday celebrations, we wouldn't go out and have a faculty dinner. In fact, we, we even converted the, the Christmas uh, December holiday celebrations um, to at work rather than doing it off-site. Because, again, the idea being let's, let's associate happy celebratory times with the workplace, and that way you will be more joyful at the workplace. You have some thoughts on that, Kim? No, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm just, yeah, agreeing with you. I'm just, it makes me happy to think about that, that the, and it just seems to me like an old-fashioned idea of when you watch television shows or old movies where back in the day when there was a lunch break room and people actually took lunch together and ate together and, and yeah, uh, just got to know each other that we've, I feel like a lot of us have gotten away from that, that everybody eats at their at their desks and the idea of doing a celebration is kind of always like sometimes it's like oh it's a burden you have to after work go do something or you're taking up time on your weekend and it's almost like an infringement on this this false dichotomy of work or home so i just i just love how you've woven that that whole concept of work is a fun place they know me i am known i am missed when i'm not there i'm valued people like me this is not a grind always it's also can be a respite it can be a place of of joy so i just think it's wonderful yeah and and kim as you know some of the happy hours that you've organized um over the course of many years um have generally been on Hopkins campus. It's not like we go, all right, let's go for a happy hour off on a, a to a bar outside of the campus. We try to have the wine events, et cetera, on campus. And I think, you know, if you associate that, oh, we had such a great time. Remember we were at the Welch Library at Hopkins and had that wonderful party. Um, you associate work with happy times. That's right. Um so the the fourth the fourth piece and, and again it, it gets back, you know, things are kind of intertwined here is the idea of the environment that you work in. And it's been shown, for example, that office areas that have plants out or flowers or those type of you know, accoutrements to the to the environment, um, even the the type of music or aromatherapy, uh that that they tend to be happier places and people associate with, you know, a happier, more satisfaction at work. And so I have, you know, implemented this, as you know, in my division, Kim, with, with decorating. So we, you know, try to, when we do have celebrations of various holidays, we try to decorate the neuroradiology hallway. Fortunately, we're all kind of clustered in this one focal area. But we, you know, we have Halloween witches and Mm -hmm. all kinds of, um, you know, ghosts and goblins and stuff, and we get dressed up, et cetera. So we make it a, that as you walk into the neuroradiology reading area, it's kind of a fun place because, you know, yeah, we celebrate July 4th and we got all the flags going across the hallway. You can't, you have to duck your head because there's a flag across for, for July 4th and, you know, you, 
in uh, there's cobwebs all over the place for for Halloween celebrations, and you know when we do have birthday celebrations, there's there's usually a you know picture of the person, and and so ha- having an environment that also is kind of fun and changing and not just the same old same old um, you know week after week, I think is also a subtle way of psychologically priming people for happiness at work. Yeah. I so, mean, your, your, your area in neuroradiology is a destination. It really is. I, when there be um, seasons and holidays, I'd make it a point to go down there and take a look because it does. It just changes your attitude. It makes you smile. If anything, it makes you smile. It does. And, you know, we try to do it in a way that covers all of the religion so that way people, um, you know, are not offended in any way. So during the, the winter months in December, there's all different types of decorations from all the different holidays that occur in, in the winter months. So, um, you know, we try to do it in a way that everyone can feel a part of it. So I think that uh, that's, a, that's another piece of that sort of celebratory environment, if you will. And then finally, I I talk about sort of the the attitude and the choice of happiness. And this, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this is hokum, you know, how can you choose to be happy and everything? But I I really believe as as a happy person and generally a person who's very satisfied at work and at home, that it all depends on how you view things. So, for example, um, people in the future may know this, Kim, you and I are are recording this during the time of the coronavirus stay-at-home policy. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, you can look at this and say, "Oh my God, this is you know horrific." There's lots of people dying, obviously, and there's all this isolation, and and, and psychologically, it's very depressing to be have to remain at home. Or you can look at it from the standpoint of all the different things that you could do potentially that you didn't have time to do. Um, when you, you know, were having to commute to work, for example. So, you know, I'm still doing my neuroradiology from a peripheral location. I don't have a commute, so I'm saving some time in that regard. And obviously the volumes are are different than they were before the epidemic. But I, I think that, for example, this has afforded me the time to be able to work with you, Kim, on the Faculty Factory podcast and have mm-hmm. that time together. Right. Uh, I could tell you that my mother is now calling me every day. And so we have a more intimate relationship as far as knowing what's going on in each other's lives um, mm-hmm. because of this pandemic, which is obviously globally a horrible thing. My children and I are much more in touch. Everyone's very caring about each other, looking very concerned for each other and making sure that we're checking in with each other about what's going on and any health issues. So on the one hand, you can choose to be depressed, unhappy, very sad at this time, and it is a sad time for our world, uh, or you can look at it from the standpoint of what are the opportunities here. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with um, snow days. So, you know, Baltimore doesn't handle the snow nearly as well as uh, University of Michigan, which is where I went to college and whatnot. So a lot of times the days are shut down and the schools are, are shut down because of, you know, five inches of snow. And people start calling in that, you know, about not being able to get into work. And I love snow days. I look at snow days as this is going to be a great commute into work. You know, it's going to be a challenge. It's routine. You know, it's much more exciting. 
I can't wait to get into work. There won't be as many people, so it'll be nice and quiet. There'll be less volume. And I, you know, I, I want to go into work because I don't have children at home, and I want all, the, all my faculty who have children at home to be able to stay you know, with their kids because the school's off, so they'll have more family time. And I love snow days. I just look really look forward to snow days. I know some people look for look at snow days and say, "Oh God, you know, my whole day is ruined." So it, it's it is an attitude, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think you have to cultivate. And I don't know. I think there's some literature that if you if you do a habit for 21 days, that it's more likely to stick. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to encourage the people listening is for 21 days in your commute into work or once we start commuting back to work after this day at home, (laughs) for 21 days, spot a time where you will express gratitude and and be appreciative of what you have and and the other people around you. And also for 21 days, try to take something that could be viewed in a negative light and try to flip it in some way as to what is the, you know, how can I, you know, make lemonade from lemons? What is the bright spot yeah. that I can pull out of this, despite the fact that it may be a little bit of an inconvenience or a major inconvenience, which we're going through, obviously, with this pandemic. Yeah, I, I think it was Jennifer Haythorn's way where we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and she said, you know, it's, it's again, that, that, that mindset shift that we are talking about, that happiness is a choice. She said, you know, I'm not thinking of this, you know, stay, you know, shelter in place and stay at home mandate as I am in solitary or I am, you know, in solitary confinement or, or the, the term solitary, rather solitude, which has a more positive connotation. And in fact, people will pay money to go on retreats or these silent retreats and to be in solitude. And so it was a a shift of my saying, that's right, I'm not solitary. I am in solitude. And it gets to that whole thing of just reframing or looking at through a different lens, a different, different angle. And the other thing you exactly. when you're talking about the choice thing is I remember listening to um a morning radio show and and they were talking about marriage and they said you know the one of the biggest problems is people think that you know with, when you're partnered with someone that you that you that's all about happiness that I don't feel happy that happiness is a feeling and if as soon as we stop feeling happy that we're out you know I'm out I'm done I'm not feeling happy rather as you instructed, you choose to be happy. That, And again, I don't want to be trite or sound like we're being flippant about things, but the idea that you don't have to feel happy, you can choose to be happy in a di- regardless of what's happening in life. Exactly. So I'll give a, a final example of that, of that attitude part of it, and that is that uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night is the first night of Passover, and normally we would get together as a family in Baltimore. And of course, you know, I'm now in part in Colorado. I wouldn't be able to make it. My son is in New York. We have other family in Massachusetts. And we would usually get around eight, nine people together uh, that could make it in for a family Passover. So instead, tomorrow night, we are doing the the Zoom Passover. I don't know, Zoom or Skype or whatever. I don't want to push one. Uh, but to make a long story short, every single person 
in my family that we would normally invite it said that they could make it because, well, they're, they're at home. And so we're going to have the biggest family gathering we've ever had ever wow. uh, for Passover by bringing in all the people from all the different states, from all different locations on a, you know, Zoom Seder. And um, to the, for those of the people who, you know, are having Easter holidays ahead of, you know, they may experience the same thing. So, yeah, it's a horrible time that we're going through with regard to this pandemic. But on the other hand, as I said, in some ways, it's brought my family closer than it ever has. Isn't so, that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So to, just to summarize, but how to how to bring joy at work? Number one is you know make sure that people are bought into the mission and are they are engaged in. It. And if if not, then work that mission and make sure that it's something that everyone is feels committed to. Number two, express gratitude, express appreciation. Stop think about your own life. Start think about the other people in in your life. Uh, have celebrations, um, make reasons to celebrate. You got that grant. The paper was published. Mm-hmm. Let's have a paper publishing, you know, a, a new paper published party. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, celebrate. Uh, then, you know, have an environment that is well lit. I mean, it's hard in radiology, frankly, but it's bright. It's cheerful. Bring in you know, the Easter bunny, you know, <laughs> eggs or or uh, the Passover matzah, as the case may be, <laughs> this season. You know, make it an environment that people come to work and they sort of, have, like you said, you smile when you come down that New Radiology hallway because there's always something kind of neat in decoration. And finally, um, work on that work on that attitude of, of choosing to look on the bright side and the happy things in your life and and try to convert something that may be a difficulty into an opportunity. Oh, I love it. So great as usual. Thanks so much, Dave. Everybody, thank you for joining in on this podcast. You've been learning from Dr. David Usum at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine Office of Faculty Development. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.